This is Inside Dance, a podcast that celebrates the Bates Dance Festival artists and teachers. I'm your host, Lindsay LaPointe. As a way to stay engaged with many audiences off campus, the festival presented a few online performances. One of these works is Same But Different. Same But Different is a dance theater performance created by Crystal Brown and Lida Winfield exploring the similarities and differences in a cultural camaraderie on race, age, and gender. You will hear the post-performance discussion led by Director of Training Programs, Allie James, that took place directly after the viewing of Same But Different. Stick around after to hear an excerpt of Crystal and Lida's new podcast, which is coming soon. To give a feel about the language and sounds that were used in the piece, we will orient you by playing the trailer to Same But Different. You can see a link to the visual version in the show notes. I was obsessed with wheelchairs. I felt so different on the inside. I had been diagnosed with a learning disability and I craved to have something visible on the outside of me make obvious how different I felt inside. I became what we call in the South a fly in a bowl of milk. That was my learning environment. But I learned much about the academics, or the level of work, it was about the access. So I learned to see the whole board, decide on the position I wanted, take it with full authority, play the game the way I see fit. everybody at home. Um, my name is Allie James. I'm the director of training programs here at the Bates Dance Festival. Uh, so deeply grateful for all of you who tuned in to join us uh, and Lida and Crystal tonight um, for the showing of this very special, very personal um, work that we are deeply grateful for having the opportunity to see and be a part of. Um, Crystal and Lida, congratulations. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Such a pleasure to share it with you all. Yeah. Thanks everybody for watching. It's not real unless people watch. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We're gonna chat for a few minutes um, and also check in with all the people at home about the curiosities that they might have as well. Um, But I'm hoping we can start, um, y'all can just share a little bit about how you came to know each other, how you came into friendship and collaboration with each other and what that meant about the evolution of this work. 
Well, you know, what's funny is that actually this idea sort of started um, at Bates Dance Festival. So it's sort of a nice connection, actually. Um, Crystal and I had overlapped uh, professionally in a couple of different contexts, but didn't really know each other that well. And then when we were both at Bates um, several years ago, I guess we figured out it was 2016. Is that right, Crystal? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so we both were teaching at Young Dancers and we were at uh, an after performance gathering in one of the dorms. And um, Crystal approached me and said, um, I think we should make a performance that we call Same But Different, where we explore all the different ways that we're the same, but no one would ever guess it because of the way that we look. And so we should connect the dots for them. For those of you that don't know, Crystal is really a visionary. She is someone that sees ideas um, and oftentimes they come true. And I said, yes. Uh, but then it took us several years to actually make the work. Uh, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, Crystal, but part of what you were seeing was a similarity in our teaching, our pedagogy, the way that we were moving through the world, interacting with other people. I did, yeah. I saw that um, the ways, our quality of value was the same. Mm -hmm. What we valued in the room with other people was about finding out more about them, about being who we are for them, and about translating that into who they wanted to be. And so part of what then happened, right, is like we weren't, we didn't really make the show right then. Um, it's, as all of us sort of understand, right, like you have an idea or you have a vision of what you think is going to happen and then other things unfold and things take time. And so it really took time for Crystal and I to know each other, to develop our friendship. Um, and then in the pandemic, there was space. Yeah. and an opportunity. And Crystal was also on sabbatical. We both are professors at Middlebury College. And that particular combination of the pandemic and Crystal being on sabbatical allowed us uh, to revisit this idea from 2016. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is really the timeline is really interesting to share with people because it's not in reaction to what the world has been going through or particularly the United States of America in terms of mm -hmm racial unrest and divide. I think people like to watch this work as a salve for the soul in terms of what has happened and, and maybe it's kind of like a kumbaya. Um, and maybe it is. I'm not going to take that away from anybody who's, you know, that maybe it is, but that's not why it was created. Um, Lila and I's relationship began from a place of mutual respect and grew into a friendship. And I think that's different. Mm -hmm. We don't always become friends with people that we respect. We kind of keep them at a distance. Um, and I moved to Vermont eh, 10 years ago, maybe something like that, um, and was really cognizant of entering community in a way that felt authentic to who I was and not to um, bombard this new terrain with the New York artist, right? And so, I mean, Light is the queen of Vermont dance. I was like, hey, I'm here in your world. What's happening? <laughs> This is like a thing that Crystal likes to say, which is, is like a nice thing to say. And I mean, maybe it is true, right? I've, I've been a long time dancer in Vermont, but part of what it's funny about that, right? Because inside of that language, sometimes it can like Vermont is a small place, right? And so in that sense that there, you don't have to spread that far to really grow inside of a small community, but also inside of that, it allowed me to have big ideas. Because, because I could really reach far in a way that I think I couldn't have in a bigger place. She's telling you to put your crown on. Oh, yeah, thank you, thank you. Come on. Come on. 
<laughs> Lida, we were in a Zoom room not too long ago um, and you talked about this work um, as slow work, mm. right? And I, I wonder about the pacing of making a thing, kind of the, the luxury of having time to think really thoughtfully and critically about something. I wonder if y'all could elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah, sure. I mean, time in our field is a luxury. Mm -hmm. right? Like I look at, I mean, for the longest time, I've looked at choreographers and been like, you know, you they say we, we worked on this for three years and you're like, wait, what, what will you do? When, when you're a young artist, I mean, I just, let's be honest about it, right? When I was like in college and Bill T. Jones or B.B. Miller or somebody would say we worked on this for three years, I'd be like, three years doing what? Yeah. Like, what was the question? I, I don't understand how you do that, right? Mm -hmm. And so then also not even being in the mindset to have resources to be an inquiry that long, mm -hmm. right? When you're in an undergraduate program, you got a, at most 12 weeks to make a dance, right? When you're out in the professional world, when you're building a company or building a career, your time is built around your rehearsal space budget, mm -hmm. right? So, and how much you can pay your artists, right? So this luxury that we had was really a privilege as we are in a separate tier of artists, right? Who have academic jobs, who have artistic companies and are able to merge those endeavors, right? We didn't have to rush because there was no timeline. There was no producer, right? We kind of called in a plethora of uh, collaborators um, we called in the Flynn to be one of our producing partners. We called in the Performing Arts Series at Middlebury to help be a, another co-producing partner. We called in musicians like Farai Malianga and uh, Philippe Bronstein. And then we called in one of our students to be the director of photography, right? She's the director here. And then we called in Nicole Biancasino, who was our dramaturg, who by the time four years of information and questions and interviews had come to pass. We were like, nah, uh, this is not going to be like Star Wars. Yeah. Right? Like, we can't keep help us. Help us. Like, help us bring this down to a sizable amount. So we kind of settled on this kind of 35 minute chunk that feels like a sitcom. Mm -hmm. And I think we were both born in that era of sitcoms. Like, both of our families would sit down on Thursday night and watch The Cosby Show. That's right. right. So it's that thing of like, let's condense it into a time period and a, a container. Um, that allowed the the passage of time to be digestible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is really interesting and bringing me to my next question. Um, Festival has been hosting um, a virtual workshop, a virtual training program running concurrently this week with our in-person training program. Um, and Lida and Crystal have been part of the faculty for that. Um, mm -hmm. And Crystal, on Monday, um, you were speaking to the group about the multiple states or configurations, the aspects mm -hmm. of being of identity that, that make us all, right? Mm -hmm. The multiplicity of ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, and I wonder about the process of editing those things in relationship to this work and choice making around like the visibility of particular parts of yourselves mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and how that process was. What do you want to highlight? What is it that you want to maybe like, keep in the back pocket for later, right? The zooming out um, with an eye on composition and, and critical thought and analysis that way. Yeah, I think Nicole was really crucial in that process mm -hmm. um, because I, I, I mean, maybe there was a, I don't really think there were that many stories that kind of were like, oh, we're not gonna say that. No. Um, I think we, I think there, there was one story 
uh, Lida, if I'm speaking out of turn, she can forgive me. Um, there was one story about Lida having kids or not. She was like, well, I just don't know if I should say it on camera because what if I change my mind? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or you could change your mind. Yeah. Right? Um, and there's something, I mean, if you read between the lines of those children's stories in there, there's the, the numbers don't add up, right? So you could, you could come to whatever conclusion you like about my life, right? Like all mm-hmm. of these things, um, that I think we were really intent on bringing the human mm-hmm. aspect to the dancing. Whereas, um, at the end, you kind of hear us say that we are loved, but we are not known. There are mm-hmm. people who love us to death. Um, you know, in, in dancing and teaching and my coaching practice, all of the, all of these parts are very well received on both of our ends. Um, but I have people who are super close to me that if I cry, they lose their minds. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yo, I cry all the time. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, so it's one of those, um, the way you explained to Allie about the zooming out and zooming in is these kind of multi-layered perspectives of ourselves that we then internalize and only show up as what we think people can handle. Mm-hmm. It also strikes me as, you know, we filmed this in January and even from then, I feel like the stories are different mm-hmm. and I've grown. And if we were to make this show today and like re go back into the studio and refilm, I might pick different stories. And, and there is a power in that to say like, actually all of our lives are complex enough that we get to pick at different times. And to me, that's so much of what being an artist is, is sort of like how you craft uh, the story at that moment to convey the thing that you want to share, knowing that you could craft it totally differently tomorrow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And still it being your story. Mm-hmm, right, all true. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, right, this is reminding me of like, improvisational reminders about it's all the work, mm-hmm. right? Everything is the work. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering and really curious about the ways that we define ourselves um, in relationship to what we're not, or mm-hmm. conversely, um, the ways in which we see ourselves mirrored in other people mm-hmm. and how that affirms or informs how we know ourselves. Um, and I'm wondering if there was a, a point uh, throughout this process, right? And in your relationship in general, um, that really unlocked something of, of, of knowing for yourselves um, as you discovered more about each other. Hmm. That's a hard question. <laughs> you know, I guess I think that that's sort of what we do all the time is that we, we come to learn our about who we are in relationship. Mm. Um, be it that that person like rubs us the wrong way or that we feel like I love you like crazy. And, and what is it that that then reflects about ourselves? And so I think our crystallized friendship and our working relationship actually isn't any different than that. What maybe feels different about it is that we were choosing to sort of like really look at it to put it on stage. But I think um, any of those kinds of relationships, the stranger at the grocery store or like, you know, your parents, any of those things, folks, you know, well, or folks, you know, distantly, um, that we are always seeing ourselves actually learning of ourselves in those relationships. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I guess I would say, Allie, if we were trying to put a container around it. In this process, Lida and I both lost a parent. Mm. So when I lost my mother, 
Lida learned something about Crystal. When Crystal lost her dad, I mean, when Lida lost her father, Crystal learned something about Lida, right? And so I think it was one of those things where it wasn't um, a particular question, mm-hmm. but as we began to kind of pull back the layers on the person, mm-hmm. we just began to see, oh, you know, oh, oh, this is why you do that. The why, I think the why is what comes out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I literally just got a text from someone uh, that said, I just learned so much more about you watching this piece, right? So there is, there is, uh, there are people who have known you for years and then they go, oh, I didn't know that. That's why she's yeah. like that, <laughs> right? And so Lida and I actually just put together a process to say, well, why do you do that? Why do you believe that, right? We've had these conversations about faith, love, family, work, dance, love life, you know, difficult conversations, relationships, money. Like, why are you like that? Like, oh, you know, why, where does that come from? Mm-hmm. Right. And kind of being able to peel back those layers allows us to kind of, again, find a different type of freedom with each other. Mm-hmm. Like Lida is one of the people who knows that I'm super quiet. Like I'm a quiet person. Mm-hmm. People don't believe it, but like literally you could be in my house with me for hours and just, let me let me tell you, we were in a car for five hours, and I don't think Crystal spoke once. <laughs> I'm kind of like a monk that way. Like, I mean, I kind of can just be like, mm, and then yeah, yeah, right. Which which brings us back to this idea of like our multiplicity, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, I I am deeply appreciative of the way that y'all have shown up and and offered those things to our students at home um this week um and lida earlier on you posed a few questions to folks um within the 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 framework of the workshop what Mm -hmm. brings you joy how do you define freedom what are you afraid of and what's next in your life um which feel like gigantic questions Mm -hmm. or as crystal you reminded everybody like you could just be taking a few steps to the bathroom in a minute and that could be what's next too. Um, but I would, I'd love for us to, to end on that note to hear from y'all about what brings you joy right now um, mm. and what's next in your lives. Mm, good question. <laughs> well, I will tell you, uh, let me just like make a side story right now, which is some of you might know that Crystal is also a, uh, a vision coach in her professional life. And I am a student or a client, we say. I keep saying student because that's the other world I'm in. I'm a client in that world. And I think actually it speaks volumes that we um, we work professionally at Middlebury College together, then we make dance work together, and then I am a client of hers. And, and part of the reason that I chose to do, to be a client, to be looking at my own vision, is I felt like, um, this year, obviously, for all of us, has been wild and on a degree, a spectrum of experiences. Um, some of us in much more heartache than others, depending on who you are or where you are or what that looked like for you. Um, but it was different for all of us regardless. And uh, in that, one of the things that was different for me is that it was slower. There was less to do. I had more space than I've had. And that gave me opportunity to reflect on my own joy and to reflect on my own value. And it also gave me opportunity to say, I actually, I want more joy. 
Mm. I want to cultivate that more. And that's part of why I chose to become a client at Crystals is that I felt like I, I want to have a structure um, and a, a container to help me do that, to be accountable, to grow my joy. Because let's be frank, it like doesn't just come. And I don't know why it's not that thing that we are like studying in school all the time. Like, I don't know why joy and empathy is not like the top curriculum. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, don't get me wrong, reading and math are important, but they're not, you know, it just doesn't matter if you feel worthless. And so um, a lot of my joy is actually about doing less, about slowing down, about going for walks with being simpler, uh, for cultivating uh, a sense of pride inside. That was a long answer to say, I'm working on it. No, it's beautiful. Thank yeah. you. Crystal. Um, first of all, I just, again, like, it does speak volumes, right? Like it speaks volumes that there are people in our field who trust me with their heart, right? Not just their tondu and their plie. Like that's a big deal. Like I don't take it lightly, right? I don't take it lightly. I know, I know that there are people out there who are clients of mine who are in our field. And then there are people who watch all the vlogs and, and are, are picking up the kernels, right? Um, and so for me, that is my joy, right? I have a deep reservoir of joy. I don't, you know, people know if you follow me, I don't use the word self-care. I use the word soul care because self-care is reactionary and soul care is a response to the reservoir you can pull from when things are not feeling stable, right? And so this idea for me about freedom and joy and what's next is about cultivating what I know to be real and true about vision, about artistry, about life, about entrepreneurship, about creativity in the lives of as many people as I can, because I think free people actually don't need to hold anything or anyone else hostage. Look at dropping gems for us tonight. Lydia and Crystal, thank you for being so essential and part of uh, this BDF family. Crystal and I are like, trucking forward. We've made all these podcasts. We're getting ready to launch them, right? Because we're really thinking about, um, you know, dance is big and artistry oh. is big and our stories are big. And what are the different platforms and ways that we want to move our work forward? So that's part of what's next is that at least for this same but different work is that we've made all these podcasts that we um, are going to launch pretty soon. So you can keep your eyes out for that. And also that we're interested to be connected. So you want to bring us virtually to your community or in person to your community. We're happy to, to do that and to put our heads together about how to make that happen in the future. So you can uh, email us and or write to us at uh, same but different dance at Facebook. Is that right, Crystal? SBD dance okay, thank you. on Facebook. Yep. Yep. There we go. Mm -hmm. Say it one more time for the people. SBD same but different dance on Facebook. Y'all, it's been really real as always. Thank, thank you, you so much. much. Thank you, Bates. From this performance, the artists created a podcast where they discussed several topics from the performance, such as love, loss race, and faith. They share how the work is a reflection of their lived lives, artistic practice, and human evolution. The full series will launch on September 1st, 2021. Enjoy the behind-the-scenes adventure into Lyda and Crystal's whimsical brilliance.
Here we go. Yeah. This is a crystal brown lighter Winfield mm -hmm, mm -hmm. acoustic. Hold on, wait, wait. No, that was, it was pretty good. Okay, take two. Outtakes. Same but different. Acoustic beatbox. Next tour. <laughs> All right, which one are we doing now? Um, making a living. It's your turn to enter. Yep. I'm ready when you are. Welcome. My name is Lida Winfield. I'm Crystal Brown. And we are here together for a podcast for Same But Different. Crystal Brown and I have been collaborators, art makers, educators together, uh, and we have made a performance called Same But Different, where we talk about all the different ways that we are the same, even if we look different on the outside, to help connect the dots between the ways that we see the world. Mm -hmm. um, so today, we're thinking about dance, because mm -hmm. we're both dance artists, and specifically, we're thinking about and talking about ways to make a living as a dance artist. Mm -hmm. So, for myself, I think the place that I, the big shift for me about making a living as a dance artist was uh, when I turned 30, mm -hmm. I decided I was done doing any side job that wasn't connected to my art making. Okay. And I got to decide what was connected to my art making, because mm -hmm. it was actually quite big. It didn't just look one way. Mm -hmm. And in that commitment, it actually opened up many more opportunities for me and also was a risk. Yeah. It meant that I didn't make a lot of money mm -hmm. for many years in there and also felt like because that was the path I had committed to pursuing that was working for me, it was part of my vision, then uh, that leap, I had to take that leap to help make myself more money in the arts. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. And so before that, what had you been doing to pe make a living? Yeah, all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And I mostly had um, jobs that allowed me to have a flexible schedule. That was partly what was valuable to me. Um, so I worked as a breakfast line cook. I worked as a baker. I worked as a dog walker, a house cleaner, a nanny, a live-in nanny and a day nanny. Mm -hmm. um, I was a strawberry picker, I was a tour guide, all sorts of things, mm -hmm. um, house painter, uh, I was a private cook mm -hmm. for a family. And all of those jobs then, the piecemeal nature of them allowed me to continue to pursue art making or teaching or dancing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> what about you? Um, I guess when I think about making a living, Right, like it was a little bit askew because I think 
in one of our previous episodes about training, I spoke about how my dance teacher asked me to start teaching when I was 14. Mm-hmm. And so at 14 years old, I started making $25 an hour. Which is a lot. Which is a lot for a 14-year-old. And it's not a lot of hours, but at the same time, it gives you a perspective on what your time is worth. Yep. Right. And so then when I was doing other jobs like um, uh, working at a car wash or something like that, it just it made me understand that my gift had much more value. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and there's ways in which, you know, you get kind of trained out of knowing that. Right. Because yes. I was also later on the after college or, you know, touring as a dancer. I supplemented my income from even working with major companies by hiring myself out as a personal assistant to other people. That was work that I could do again, like on the side when I, when I felt like it, I could get it, I could manage other people's lives from afar. This was before uh, Mm -hmm. virtual assistants were a real thing. Right. right. (laughs) So um, I could handle a lot of people's emails or their Mm -hmm. finances or, you know, do things um, remotely Mm -hmm. um, that, people are doing now for a living, right? And so I kind of use my skills in business and relations with people mm-hmm. to leverage this other outlet of income. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also did like grunt work of like selling Cutco knives door to door and yep. like, you know, being working at a car wash or um, being a, a waitress at a minor league ballpark yep. in between years of going back and forth to college. Um, and then I think what that taught me though is that I actually, at that point, unlike you, had not made a decision Mm. that my art had to be my life, Mm -hmm. right? So I kind of, um, and we, I think we touched on this or thought about talking about this in another episode, this idea of transferable skills, right? So making a living for me just became about how do I use all my parts to live the life I want to live or to be comfortable or to make enough money to sustain myself. Yep. Um, super amount, super deeply, um, motivated by taking care of myself, right? We are both orphans. Both of our parents are deceased. We Mm -hmm. both come from one sibling household, Mm -hmm. right? But also I come from a small family where I'm the first person to graduate from college. Mm -hmm. There was no one I could fall back on, right? And so I started to make sure that I could make money from my skills, um, because at times there were people in our family who were calling to ask me for money, right? Yeah. And so I'm... Which is such a funny thing when right. we think about the field of dance making and artists, right? Exactly. Like, that we're calling the artist to ask to loan some money. Right, right. And, you know, the misnomer that you have to be a starving artist, mm-hmm. right, is one of those things that we continue to perpetuate because our wage continuity is not clear. Yep. And the value that we put on our time and our work and our effort is also has not really changed that much. Yep. Right. Um, and it's hard because we talked about this in one of the episodes on love, right? Like love is work Yes. because you have to work against whatever else is happening. And so when you actually are a person, uh, an artist, an entrepreneur, anyone who loves what they do, yep. drawing that line between work and love is yes. so hard. It is. Because then you actually can't say what your time is worth because you're probably mixing all of these other tasks and identities Mm -hmm. into this one pot. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, at this point, making a living looks a lot different, right? Because, I mean, I think I've said this before in public and people can agree or not, but in my generation of dance dancers or dance professionals, 
the trajectory of success that I saw was go to undergrad, start a company or get into a company, go to graduate school, become a professor. Mm -hmm. Right. And that was the end of the road. Mm -hmm. So when I got there Mm -hmm. at 38, 39 and had already become the chair of the program and done some other things, I was like, now what? Now what? Right. I had had my own company. And so all of those things contributed to now how I see the value of my time. Mm -hmm. But making a living as an artist was mostly about the same transferable skill that we find in our training. It was about discipline. Yep. That's right. Yeah. Yep. You know, and I'm glad that you're touching upon this idea of uh, a starving artist, right? Because oftentimes I think, you know, you you just you just aren't. That is impossible. It just means that you don't make your art right. because we we have to have an income, right? right? That's the world that we're in. I mean, unless you're a person that really doesn't need that, right? right. And if you're independently wealthy, then you right. get to decide, right. right? How you spend how you spend your time and your resources that way, and and in that discipline that you're speaking to, right? this practice, again, these transferable skills of showing up and recognizing that it all counts. Like Mm -hmm. I sometimes think that there's this dismissal that like being the dog worker or like the house cleaner or the uh, grocery store worker sort of doesn't count towards your career Mm -hmm. as being an artist. Mm -hmm. And for me, I it took me a while to realize that actually it all counts in the same way, actually. And you and I have talked about this before in other ways of like, so does the show at the library that only five people come to. Right. Right. Because the discipline of you showing up and the practice of it is still the same. Mm -hmm. How are you going to behave in those spaces? How are you going to operate in those spaces? How are you thinking of that as a fabric of the life that you're creating? Mm -hmm. And how much do you believe in your own craft to show up? To show up and really give it your all to five people at a library. That's more about your belief and your confidence. No one can train that in or out of you. And that's when I think a lot of people give up. It's not about if they're being compensated or if they're getting accolades. It's if they have the will to continue to show up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I had a show in Montreal for one. Mm -hmm. And my debate about it, of course, I like desperately wanted to cancel the show at first, uh-huh. right? Because I felt like, what are you talking about? We're going to do, a, I'm going to do a, a solo show for an hour for one audience member. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, I did it. But then I really debated about like where to look, like how often should I look at this woman in the audience? Should uh-huh. I make eye contact with her the whole time? Too right. intense, right? But again, uh, even though I was uncomfortable about it, yeah. it wasn't what I dreamed of right. to have a, an audience of one. It still is the thing that you do. Yeah. But it made you grateful for your sold out houses after that. That's right. That's right. Like right. if yeah. you don't know one, if you said what you talked about right. before, right? Extremes are really mm. um, discouraging and um, dissuading. Yeah. Because we lean to one or the other. It's either a success or a failure. There's a lot of gradation in between that makes us be able to appreciate each one, right? And so, mm-hmm. whereas I might be financially stable right now in my life, right? I might have a level of success that most people dream or wish they had. Mm-hmm. I, as a young dancer, walked around New York City every day with a little notebook in my pocket and wrote down everything I spent over 25 cents. Yes. Because it all had to add up. It all had yep. to make since I couldn't afford the Starbucks coffee. And if I could, maybe my friend Rhea and I, we could each afford the coffee, but we couldn't afford the sandwich. So we split the sandwich. Yep. Right. And maybe we walked around the city 
with empty coffee cups, but they still said Starbucks and we look like we fit in, <laughs> but we didn't have enough money for a refill. Yep. Right. And so when you think about that level of discipline to be able to think about resources in a really tangible way yep. so that I could know not only am I sticking to this budget, I'm agreeing to do something that is for my greater good. Yes. That's right? right. And yep. so, you know, in our coaching practice, when we talk about discipline is the highest form of self-love, mm-hmm. buying another cup of coffee didn't mean that I was loving myself. Yep. It meant that I was actually setting myself up for a larger discomfort later. Yep. Right. So when we think about that way of making a living and making your art, it goes back to this idea of what we were trained to do. Yep. You were trained to step up to the bar and do your plies. You were trained to stand beside or behind the person in front of you to make sure you were in the right space. You were doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. You knew what unison felt like. You knew what building community felt like. And then you knew that if you earned a solo, it meant that you had already aligned yourself with what was necessary to be mm-hmm. in the spotlight, mm-hmm. right? And so when we think about making a living, we're actually thinking about using the resources that we have mm-hmm. to build a foundation for the life we want to live. Yep. And when we make financial decisions, I think especially as artists, what we have to do is separate them from the emotion. Yep. Which is hard to do. Very hard to do because we love what we do. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So if I had been in New York city and thought, Oh, I can't even afford another cup of coffee. Right. This is ridiculous. This is not the life I want yep. rather than, you know what? It's this okay. cup of coffee is actually just for show anyway. Yep. So let me just know that my costume is intact Yep. Right. and live the life I want to yep. perform. Yep. Right. right. And that it was a trade. It was a sacrifice in that way for, for this bigger picture. Yeah. Similarly, I lived on a really tight budget, mm-hmm. kept track of everything mm-hmm. really diligently. Yeah. And that also meant for years there weren't, there weren't, there was never any extras. We're not going to go to the movies right. in person, right? Like we're not going to do any of those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, and for the most part, that felt okay mm-hmm. because, again, they're working towards this bigger goal. And I also, I think partly what feel, feels confusing sometimes in the dance world is that this idea that there is a ladder yeah. and that you're going to climb it and then eventually the money is just there yeah. or the opportunity is just there. Right, right. And I really had believed that, mm-hmm. had sort of thought like, particularly as a a younger person really had this idea of like being discovered Mm. and that in discovery really looked like um, there would be an ease on the other side, right? right? right. That's what actually what the discovery is, is Mm -hmm. there will be money and resources and ease to do the thing I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. But another way to think about it is I was already doing the thing I wanted to do. Yeah. What I didn't have is all of the financial security that I also was seeking. Right, 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 right. That I wanted. Yeah. Um, and it came in other ways later. Yeah. Right. And I think, and, and really because of teaching, yeah. right, has allowed for that, yeah. which is then I still think of as a pillar of my artistic practice, right. not separate from, and I know that you do too. Yeah. Um, and so recognizing again to what you're speaking to of like this discipline of I'm, I'm making I'm making accommodations for the greater good of the life that I'm dreaming of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and that you're not losing. Yes, not losing. That's right. Yeah. And I think that's where we agree, but I think that's where most young artists sometimes don't see the full picture. Mm-hmm. Because, um, you know, we talked about this before, you know, I, I used to pray for patience. I no longer do that. Because mm-hmm. I learned that the definition of patience means long suffering. Mm. 
right? And so as artists, we don't want that to learn our trade, <laughs> right? Right. Even to learn yeah, to yeah. create the love of our trade, we've already mm -hmm. kind of participated in this patient evolution of mm -hmm. this thing that's in us, that's being shaped by other people. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of times at the critique of other people. Yes. And so we have to uh, think about our resources in a way that we're deciding first what it's for. Yep. And as we follow that pathway or that vision, we don't feel like we're losing. Yep. Right. We're just getting closer to the goal, like similar to what you're talking about in terms of security. Yep. And for performers, especially for people who are kind of out in front, um, people who are listening, please forgive me. I, I don't curse often unless it's really serious. Mm. But as we as I was building a career in dance in New York City, I could feel so dramatically that I could go from sugar to shit mm -hmm. in five seconds. Yes. Yep. I could be on stage at the Joyce and be loved and adored and get on the subway and be nobody. Yeah. Right. And so the yes. idea that when we're managing our resources, our time, our money, our energy, our emotional intelligence, you have to be very clear about what the work you're doing is for. Mm -hmm. Otherwise the other people's connotations or definitions of success will derail you. Yep. I can remember um, going out with my girlfriends from back home when I was a dancer, right? And they would be like, do you ever mm -hmm. shop? And I was like, yeah, at the thrift store. Mm -hmm. And they're like, you got that at the thrift store? And I'm like, yeah, and there. Or sometimes my outfits would be a little weird. And they'd be like, what is that? And I was like, I got this from the thrift store. You know, whatever. I'm mm -hmm. fine. I feel great. Yeah. Right? Or um, noticing that, you know, when it's time to go on a trip, I would have this thing in the back of my mind of knowing what I had to save to get to the trip with yes. my friends who worked in corporate and all these things. And, you know, to my delight, uh, one time we went on a uh, pre-wedding trip, a bachelorette trip mm -hmm. to uh, Jamaica. And the organizer of the trip was my friend's sister. And she was like, oh, you've already paid your money. I'm still waiting on other people. And I was like, what? Yeah, right, right, right. You know, so it's, we have to remember that the discipline that's yes. in us yes. is far greater yep. than most people. Yep. Right, because... Making a living and making a life is more about knowing what you love. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, then all the energy you're expending doing yep. the things around you that other people might be doing are not getting you to where you want to be. Yep. I've had times uh, in the past where I have really um, felt worried that because I didn't make a lot of money, it meant that I wasn't successful. Correct. Yeah. That that line... Um, I believed, I drank the Kool-Aid, right, mm -hmm. to say that I thought, oh, this is the same thing. Yeah. And that my worth is also connected to my bank account, mm -hmm. right? And and therefore, that is not only about my worth, but it's also a sign of how good of an artist I am, mm -hmm. is I must not be good at these things because there isn't a lot of resources in my bank account. Right. Um, and it took me a long time to figure out how to separate those two mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in that also... Part of that practice also came with an ability to say, oh, no, this this show or this moment or this class doesn't actually align with my values. I'm going to say no to it. Right. Opposed to the culture that we're really in of dance is like you say yes to everything because you're too afraid that there isn't going to be another opportunity. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And we say no to other things in our lives that are yes. personal for our growth because we think we can't afford it. Yes. Right, right, right. right, right. So I think detangling that as well. Right. So. In this, if we're talking to young dancers, if young dancers are listening right now, mm. I just want to be clear. 
that if you don't understand how to manage your energy, yep. the same way that you manage yourself for a show, like, you know, you have to stretch before, you know, you have to breathe, you know, all of these things that make you an amazing performer and get you to the craft or get you to the level of your craft that make you a professional. Mm -hmm. You have to be a professional at your life yes. in managing all of your resources. And money is only one. One. That's right. Money is a form of energy that allows you access to the greater parts of the world that then allow you greater access to who you want to become. Mm -hmm. It is not for you to try everything. Everything is not for everybody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And so when you think about what you're doing with the resources you have, be good investors yep. with your time, with your energy, with your resources, with your love, with your stamina yep. and invest in yourself not just to take another class because learning is fun yep. and we could all get caught up in paying to learn all the time, but learning has a place where it should be implemented to create distinct understanding. Mm -hmm. And if you're not growing in your understanding of how your resources are leading to the life you love, then that's when you got to do some different accounting. Yep. Yep. And really I think so much of this is we've sort of already said it, but to say it again, right? Like that the bank account is not, a representation of your value mm. and and how do you assess what you say yes and no to based on the values that you hold mm -hmm. and so I used to have this practice where I would sort of look at the opportunity that was given to me and even though my knee-jerk reaction was to say yes regardless of whatever it was yeah. I used to have a girlfriend or an assistant or someone else that I needed to call in my life to say help me think out loud does this align with my value before I could say yes or no to it mm -hmm. And that pause helped me assess, oh, okay, am I going to do this or not do this? Yeah. And or how do I make other structures for myself? Like I'm done work at night. Yeah. And I go to bed. I close the computer. Right. And then it's okay to then do something else. It's okay to go to bed. Mm -hmm. Even mm -hmm. though your home office, I mean, again, before the pandemic, right, right is right. right there. Yeah. And then it feels like all the work could just continue to continue to continue. Yeah. So. Boundaries. Boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. More podcasts from Same But Different will be coming soon. Stay curious. For more information, check out lightawinfield.com slash same but different. The director of the festival is Shoshana Courier. The director of training programs is Allie James. Sound recording by Ellen Maynard. Editing by me, Lindsay LaPointe. Music featured Albert Mathias. For more information about the festival, visit BatesDanceFestival.org. <laughs>